Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. He said, For two weeks, I didn't open my Bible. I felt far from God. And he said, I, I just came into the presence of God and I just said to God, Oh God, I don't need a rebuke. I just need you to love me. And the good shepherd knows how to restore his sheep. He knows how to pick us up when it's not a rebuke that we need, but it's a word of encouragement. He knows when to give what and how to do it. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and Sometimes the last thing we need when we are hurting spiritually is a harsh rebuke. The Bible describes our Lord as someone who will not snuff out a smoking wick or break a reed that is broken. In other words, Jesus is gentle, loving, and kind to those who are hurting. In today's message from Psalm 23, Pastor Ed teaches us that the Lord comforts those who need comforted. God knows just how to love us and encourage us because He is the Good Shepherd. He tenderly loves His sheep. Now here's Pastor Ed with his continuing look at Psalm 23. Keller in his book on the 23rd Psalm takes this verse and talks about sheep when they're cast. A sheep will lie down and try and find a comfortable place in some hollow or some, uh, some shaded area, and the sheep can turn on its back. Perhaps it may be stretching, it may be turning around, and if it finds itself on its back, it can no longer get back up. If it's a hot day, that sheep, in a matter of hours, will expire. Its circulation will be cut off to its extremities, and it will die. The shepherd, when he finds a cast sheep, turns it over, begins to rub its legs, trying to create the circulation again. Its legs are very short. And once it falls over onto its back, it can't get up. Now, I believe God intentionally took the metaphor of sheep and compared it with you and me. We are the sheep of his pasture. So many ways we are like sheep. The Bible tells us we are like sheep. We've gone astray. The Bible tells us that God is our shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture. One of the things that we must realize as we look at this psalm is that when the psalmist talks about our wants, our needs, he said, you need rest. You need time alone with God. Time to be refreshed in His presence. Your whole Christian life depends on that. But there's something else that you're going to need. Restoration. Every single one of you. Every single one of us. There's not one person here 
that won't need the shepherd's hand to restore us. How easily we fall on our back and we can't get up again. Now, we're not always conscious that it's the shepherd restoring us, but it is. It may be the words of a friend, the phone call of a Christian. It may be a message in tongues or a sermon or a warm hand on our shoulder praying for us. But inevitably, it's the hand of the Good Shepherd. Inevitably, it's the hand of God. Now, why do we need restoration? D.L. Moody said the only way to keep a broken vessel full is to keep it always under the tap. The only way for you who have been broken by sin is to continually abide in his presence. And all of us have been broken by sin. I was thinking about President Reagan, and I thought, boy, he came from the home of an alcoholic. And I'm sure there's some brokenness in his life, but God took this man and used him. I think of Clinton, President Clinton. He came from the home, uh, a broken home as, as I remember it, and, and a very difficult situation. I think his father was an alcoholic too. I, I'm not sure, but I thought it was. And then I think the president now was an alcoholic. <laughs> God uses broken people. God uses frail people. Until we recognize that our salvation is totally dependent upon God, we'll not be able to fully enjoy it and realize and experience all that God has for us. God thought up salvation. God provided it. And it's all God. Why do we need restoration? Because, first of all, we live in this world. We're subject to the trials of this life. In Job 5, 7, it reads, People are born for trouble as predictably as sparks fly upward from a fire. You watch sparks, they're going to fly upward if you have a campfire. If you live, you're going to have trials. If you breathe, you're going to have difficulties. If you come into this world, there are going to be times and trials in your life. Those trials sometimes knock us right off our feet, right onto our back, and we need the help of God. Sometimes those trials come with such force, we don't think we can get back up again. God wants us to recognize that in the midst of the greatest trials of life, he is there as our shepherd. When we're down on our back and we cannot get up, He is there to lift us up, to pick us up. We can't do it on our own. Not only the, subject, the trials of life, but we're subject to the seasons of life. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, when people live to, a very old, to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. But let them also remember that dark days will be many. I just think about those words of Solomon. Now, I don't think we're to be pessimist, but we should be realist. The seasons of life are not always easy. Some people get through their adolescence 
just like nothing. Others struggle and battle. As so many changes are taking place in their own lives, in their own body, in their own world. Some people, as they get into the young adult years, as they try and establish a home and establish a job, trying to find their place and niche in life and trying to find that right person, it seems to be a stormy time. Others in middle life hit a wall, a crisis, and it seems to unravel everything in their lives. Others, in the sunset years, it's the most difficult years of the journey. But somewhere along the spectrum, somewhere along the seasons of life, you're going to come into a storm. You're going to come into a tornado. You're going to come into a place where you feel like things are being uprooted. And when those times happen, you can be confident that right beside you is a shepherd that will tend you and care for you and nurture you and be with you. And when you're flat on your back and you feel like, oh God, I can't get up from this, he is there to lift you up. That's what David said. That's what David experienced. He looked back on his life filled with trials, filled with difficulties, filled with struggles. And to the very last breath he took, the good shepherd was there to lift him up as he is with each of us. Hallelujah. You can get stuck in any one of those places if you don't allow the good shepherd to lift you up. If you don't allow him to restore you. Don't fight his restorative hand. Sometimes it comes in a word of rebuke, a word of correction. Sometimes it comes in a form that we may not exactly like. But it's the good shepherd lifting us and restoring us. Dave Wilkerson shared about an experience in his own life where his wife, Gwen, was her body was being destroyed by cancer. She was deathly sick in the hospital. One of his children was in a, a dramatic car accident. He said, for two weeks, I didn't open my Bible. I felt far from God. And he said, I, I just came into the presence of God and I just said to God, oh God, I don't need a rebuke. I just need you to love me. And the good shepherd knows how to restore his sheep. He knows how to pick us up when it's not a rebuke that we need, but it's a word of encouragement. He knows when to give what and how to do it. And that's what David is saying, not only because we're subject to the seasons of life, but we're also subject to our old life. Listen to the cries of the great apostle Paul. From Romans 7, 24, Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin. Until you leave this world and go to the world to come, you will have to contend with a sinful nature. I wish it wasn't so. I wish Wesleyan theology were correct, where he believed in total eradication of sin. But... I haven't seen that in life, and I haven't seen it in the pastorate. There's an old nature that we have to constantly die to daily. Constantly 
crucify. And we have to recognize that there's this remarkable aptitude we have to wander from God. You know what sheep? They have a remarkable aptitude to wander, to get lost. Sheep will not find their way around the block. They'll just get lost. They'll wander off. They cannot take care of themselves. There's not one single Christian in this church that can take care of themselves. You need a shepherd. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. And he offers to you his presence and his help. And when we live in conscious dependency upon God, we could live triumphantly, victoriously, with great assurance that he's there. But that life has to be lived in utter dependence. Sometimes we're conscious of our wanderings. We purposely disobey God. We purposely do what we want. Other times, we're not even conscious that our heart has grown cold and indifferent. Somehow it seems to us that the pastor's sermon isn't quite touching us or the worship isn't quite reaching us or things in our at the atmosphere of the church just aren't moving us so. But all the while it's on the inside. You know, I've had people come into the church at times and remarkable the difference in response to a service. Some with tears in their eyes saying, oh, God met me. I felt his presence. He was here. Other people say, oh, I didn't get anything out of that service. Well, whose fault? See, the shepherd is there to work in our hearts. And he'll change that cold heart to a hot heart if we're willing we sometimes don't realize that we've become cold and indifferent and critical and somehow we have lost that, that communion with God. Listen to the words of Hosea the prophet. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. How we blame God. We blame those around us. We blame everything but ourselves. And Hosea said, your sins have been your downfall. But in just a couple of verses, he goes on to say, I will heal their waywardness. Hallelujah. And love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. Isn't it wonderful to see God turning from anger to love, from wrath and judgment to grace and mercy? I think about David in Psalm 51. I'd like us to just turn to that for a second. Psalm 51. David says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And then he says in verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew 
a steadfast spirit within me. Then in verse 13, 12 rather, restore to me the joy of your salvation. David, I believe, penned these words in his old age. Psalm 23. I believe it was an experienced man who looked back on his life and said, as I look back on my life, I recognize I need times of rest in God's presence because I can't do the best I can without being filled and refilled and sitting in His presence. And then he looked back on his life and he said, God, again and again, you've restored me. Think about what God did in David's life. Think about the miracle of restoration that took place in his life at this moment. I think about how David was all twisted in his thinking and hardened in his heart. He was ailing spiritually. He was flat on his back. But God came to him in the person of a Nathan. And God restored him and lifted him up. And Jonathan Edwards, the great Christian revivalist, said, I've had a vastly greater sense of my own wickedness and the badness of my heart than ever I had before my conversion. I like what Wilmington Boone said. At the point of desperation is the time for rededication. When you're absolutely desperate, that's the time to put the energy forward and rededicate. And that's, I believe, what David is talking about when he's talking about the psalmist where he says, He restoreth my soul. You know, I, I could see this psalm, David singing it, as he's fleeing from Absalom. He's by the waters. And old friends of David, who still were loyal to David, come and they gather around him and they bring gifts of food and sumptuous meals for the men and him to eat. And the enemy is on the other side. And he said, Lord, you prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. David was walking, as it were, through that valley of the shadow of death as he was going to war with his own son. And he could know that God was there to comfort and help him. Some said, God's finished with you, David. Did the devil ever whisper that in your ears? Did the adversary ever come and say, it's all over for you. David sang that song. He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. Don't give the credit to pastors. Don't give the credit to the deacons. Don't give the credit to the preachers. Give the credit where it belongs to Jesus Christ, your good shepherd. He's the one who's kept you all these days. He's the one who kept you all your ways. And David said, he restoreth my soul. Oh, my second point. Because we belong to the world to come, we need restoration. He restores my soul. 
he restores my soul can be translated he revives my life God put brand new aspirations in your heart brand new desires in your life when you came and accepted him those desires have created a lot of problems for you in Jeremiah 24 7 it reads I will give them hearts that will recognize me as the Lord they will be my people and I'll be their God for they'll return to me wholeheartedly you know why it gives you problems because you have new goals in your life your goal is to be like Jesus Christ and when somehow you come short of that goal man you get discouraged you have new aspirations in your life, aspirations to serve and to do the will of God. Before you were born again, you couldn't care less. You have aspirations now to please Him and to live a holy and a godly life, things you never thought about before you were saved. Didn't bother you. Now they bother you. You're troubled in the, your spirit when you grieve God's spirit because you're so connected to God. That's a sign that you're a son of God, a daughter of God. And because sometimes the enemy jumps on the back of that, the accuser of the brethren shouts down in your mind and heart and spirit to cripple you and accuse you. You need the shepherd to come and restore you. He tells you, I love you just because I love you, not because you've earned it. If God loved you before you were saved, he certainly loved you after you were saved. If God did all he did to orchestrate your salvation, he's not going to let you go now. We've been given a cross to bear. And because we're called to follow Jesus Christ and carry that cross, the Christian life becomes difficult. Living in this world is difficult. The world is not carrying a cross on their shoulders. They're not running as we are after Christ. Not only do we have heavenly aspirations, but we also have been given a new sensitivity. In John 10:4, it reads, When he has brought us out, when he has brought out all his own, he goeth on ahead of them. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. All the sheep could be gathered together and the shepherd's talking on some far up hill and suddenly one of the shepherds gives off a sound, a unique sound and his sheep know his voice and they separate from all the other sheep and they come and follow him. And you know, we know the voice of God the Father and we hear God speaking to our generation. Those in your class don't hear him speaking because they're not of the fold. Those at your work don't hear God the way you hear God. And because you hear Him, you're in harmony with heaven. And because you're in harmony of, with heaven, you're out of harmony with this world. They're, they're just marching, as it were, to a different drum than we are. We're following the Son of God. Jesus was called the Man of Sorrows. Why was He called the Man of Sorrows? I believe He identified with people's sins. He felt the burdens of others. The Bible says that virtue would go out of him to the oppressed and those in need. And he carried, as it were, their sorrows, their burdens. And to anyone who has the heart of Christ inside of them, they are grieved by sin. 
the burden of sin weighs heavily on them. They could take, the world can take the name of God in vain. And doesn't it grieve you? Don't you feel that pain on the inside? He's my Savior they're talking about. Well, that's all the time we have for today's edition of Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. There's more to come from Pastor Ed's 14-part series in the Book of Psalms. We encourage you to download today's message again to review. Simply log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and select today's date from the Building in Faith media player. Again, that's buildinginfaithradio.com. Maybe today's message brought a family member or friend to mind. You can share today's message via Facebook and Twitter by simply logging on to buildinginfaithradio.com and clicking on today's date. There you'll find all the options to share. Now we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for Worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and for more information, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Building in Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. We invite you to join Pastor Ed as he continues teaching through the Word of God right here on Building in Faith. Your Word restores.